You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to your favorite day of the week. This is Locked On NBA. I am Anthony Irwin. I am joined by Adam Morris. This is going to be, the reason I say your favorite day of the week is because we are going to be recording or we are going to be releasing these shows every Friday. And who doesn't like Fridays? So, Adam, how you doing? I am enjoying my Friday. Actually, I'm only an hour into our Fridays. We we record these late at night on <laughs> on Thursday, Friday. But so far, so great. Yeah, Excited I'm, to be here. I'm three minutes in. I'm talking. I'm talking basketball with one of my favorite people in the in the industry. I, I can't complain. Uh, so basically, what's going to happen here is Locked On NBA is being released now every single day of the week, and Adam and I are tasked with sending you into the weekend with our thoughts on on what's going on across the NBA. Adam is from Denver Stiffs and from Locked On Nuggets. I am from Lakers Outsiders and from Locked On Lakers. Uh, you can find this podcast everywhere that you can find podcasts. Uh, if there's if there's a platform that is that it isn't showing up, let us know and we'll make that happen. Uh, tonight's show, we are going to talk about a game, basically, and this is how it's going to go for most nights. We pick out a game from the night before, and then we're going to have a couple topics that Adam and I are going to discuss in the B and C blocks. Tonight's game that we wanted to focus on was between Philly and Chicago. Not it was any a good the, one. It was it was a fun one. It was a fun night. Period in the yeah, NBA. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff tonight. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a blast. The NBA like they recognized. Oh, man, you guys probably miss us. We'll give you a bunch of <laughs> we'll give you a bunch of uh, close fourth quarters. Uh, I'll start. But with, seriously, how was this last week without basketball? I was. It felt it felt like a month to me. I, I got to say, I didn't realize. I thought I needed a break a week ago, and then by like Monday night, I was like, okay, I'm sick of this. Yeah, no, it was. It was <laughs> you go into the All Star break and you're just tanked. You're just exhausted. And then the first night where you and I mean you're married, I'm married. You have to have a conversation. And you realize. Dang, I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that will not be the case tonight. I'll let you start, Adam. You uh, you picked this game. You picked the game between Philly and Chicago. Couple fun young cores. What was uh, what was your first note that you took away from from tonight's game? Dario Saric has the best post All Star game tan that i have seen so far <laughs> like he, he is like eight shades darker than he was going into the all-star break which i think is great mm-hmm. i i think clay <laughs> clay thompson is coming for that throne clay he's little... always tan though he's a california guy so that's, that's a good point that's a good i that was it was funny because sarich is usually by far the whitest guy on that team and he was he was you know not tonight he had a good all-star break no but it was a fun game i mean career high from bobby portis career high uh from nwaba simmons a career high i was surprised 32 points a career high for for ben simmons i didn't i would have guessed it was higher than that but um so you get three career highs in one game and another game that kind of comes all the way down to the wire i think this game featured some of the things that are going to become themes in this last uh, eight weeks of the season or whatever it is that that we're looking at here. And that is a team fighting for the playoffs against a team fighting not to win games. And this was a game that I thought the Bulls actually outplayed Philadelphia down the stretch all the way until the last couple minutes. And it's funny, I had to watch this game on DVR tonight. And I saw the score. I, I, I knew what the final score was. I know who won. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, how does Philly win this? Yep, because... Same. It, it it was like I know they win and they're just they're they're so far down. But of course, 
uh, it was a comedy of errors down down the stretch, and and really kind of a hilarious way um, to end the game. Cameron Payne, who's not one of my favorite players, I thought I, I thought when I was watching it, okay, a sneaky tank job to have him playing so many fourth quarter minutes, but he actually was really really good in this one. Um, he was a team high plus seventeen. Uh, and I just thought, and Bobby Portis, obviously just lighting it up from all over the court, especially from behind the three point arc. I think that was really the biggest reason that, that Chicago was able to go on such a big run in that fourth quarter. I thought, and we'll touch on this a little bit in the, in the final segment where we talk about the, the young cores across the NBA, but I thought tonight did a good job of, of displaying the kind of young cores that you have across the league, right? Where you have, you either have a core with a superstar and then pieces that have to not, you know, not screw things up basically. And then you have cores that have done a good job of, of, of just having good peripheral players, but no real superstar. And yes, Bobby Porter went off for 38 points, but I don't think anybody's going to call him a superstar. Philly, it was, it was all, it was the Embiid, in Simmons show. And that's kind of how it's, that's how it's going to be in (laughs) for the vast majority of their careers, I would imagine. And for the bulls, it was just a matter of, all right, move the ball. Who's open. Um, I thought Laurie Markkinen had a pretty disappointing night and in every game that I've kind of seen, seen him in, he seems to float if things aren't, if his shot isn't falling or whatever. Uh, but you I don't mind that from young players, and and I'll tell you why. Oh. I actually like Lowry Markin, and he was pretty bad tonight. This was a bad game to kind of, you know, get a good scout on him. But I've watched him several times this year, and players that one of my favorite qualities in in any type of player is a player that doesn't force shots. And I think he's a, I, I think he's a guy that the more you surround him with talent, the better off he is going to be. I think he can be aggressive um, at, 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 in moments when he is supposed to be. Um, and then, you know, he gets most of his shots off of pick and pops. I think I think roughly 50% of his shots come at three, from the three-point line. Um, but yeah, like you said, a bad night from him. To me, this game really was, and the reason I wanted to watch it was because we were going to talk about young cores, and this was two, two young teams going at each other. I was so impressed with 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 Ben Simmons in this game and a career high night, so a great night to watch him. But he is so good at getting to the rim. I mean, he has such an incredible feel for a player his age and with a player with as glaring a weakness as he has. Obviously, his his outside shot is just non-existent. Although he did have a couple nice pull-up jumpers today. And those free throws uh, to seal seal the game too, by the way. Which were impressive. You know, the broadcast crew kept talking about a game. I don't know if it was when it was earlier this this season when when Simmons missed a tip in to win a game against the Bulls and how it had haunted Uh-oh. him. So he steps to the line and knocks down two free throws, which was cool. Um, but he just has such an incredible feel. It, it reminds me of Giannis in a way. You know, everybody knows Giannis doesn't want to shoot from outside. Everybody knows Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot from outside. Yet they still get to their spots almost every single time down court. And I think with Giannis, obviously the the size and the enormous stride and, and just kind of how slippery he is uh, getting around his defender. And Simmons has a lot of those qualities too. But I thought what really stood out to me about Simmons in this game was he just knew exactly how to put his defender in spots that that, that they couldn't guard him. So when he'd get switched out onto a little guy, he immediately threw his body. He's really good at throwing his body weight he's around. Huge. He's huge, and but he uses his size well. And you get a lot of these big guys that are rookies, second-year players, and they don't know how to use their size. Um, he really did a good job of that, I thought, tonight, and just found all of the seams to to get to the rim, despite that was really what, what Chicago was trying their hardest not to let him do. 
Yeah, I I completely agree. Him and Embiid, I mean, they just this is I would imagine this is the case for all Philly fans that at least five times per night, those guys are going to make a play that just makes you go, what the (laughs) (laughs) really? And you guys on the same team. Uh, We're going to keep on. We're going to build on the points that we made about young cores. And like I said, the C block. But what we're going to do here on the other side of the break is we're going to talk about this crazy Western Conference uh, playoff run where all these teams are within one or two losses of each other. And uh, and yeah, we're going to make our we're going to make our locks and, and all that good stuff here in a second. All right, so the way this is going to work, uh, the two there are two teams at the very top, the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors. Those teams are mathematical locks. Talent-wise, they are locks. In every way that you can try to define it, those are the two best teams in the NBA and especially in the Western Conference. But after that, you have, I would count, it's I'm wide counting, open. I think it's like six or seven teams all within one or two losses of, of each other. And, and so that's what we're going to do. We are going to list our locks from the three spot down to the eight spot and see where that takes us. Adam, I will give you the first, your first lock for either the three spot or just anywhere in the playoffs. Where would you go? You're such a gentleman. And it's crazy. I think my third lock to make the playoffs, this is just make the playoffs, not a prediction of the seating. Mm -hmm. My third lock behind Golden State and Houston, I'm going to go with Minnesota. And I know they're only five and five in their last 10 games. Um, I think they really needed the all-star break really, really badly. Um, Shots to 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think they're as much of a lock as anybody uh, other, uh, the rest of the teams uh, going forward. They do have a bit of a tough schedule. I think the fourth hardest schedule of all the teams in the Western conference. Um, but to me, all the other teams behind them have huge, huge question marks, and they're the one team that I just think we already know who they are, and they're, they're kind of consistent all year long at least. Yeah, I, I, they are my first lock as well, and, and I agree with everything. And basically the way I would put it is they've been winning games throughout the first half of the season with glaring holes. And if yeah. they figure that stuff out, then they, they become a legitimate team. My next team is, and, and again, no particular order here, but I think Oklahoma City just has too much talent not to. You have you have Russell Westbrook, you have Paul George. Now, not having Andre Robertson, they are a completely team, different team without him. Uh, and that's crazy considering he's only good on one half of the court, but he's tremendous on that half of the court. But you just kind of saw it in the game last night by the time everybody is listening to this. is Sacramento played maybe one of their better games of the season. And it came down to a miracle shot that Russell Westbrook threw in, having shot terribly at the end of the game. And it's just that they're just so good offensively. I knew that shot was going in. He so did he. Did you see it? (laughs) Yeah, he he did. Yeah, he he started backing out right away. He was he released it and and it was just and it went in really like insanely fast. It was a super flat shot. But this was a peak Russell Westbrook game because he had a triple double (laughs) and a game winner, and I thought he played bad. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's one of those games. I, I agree with you, by the way, on Oklahoma City. They have one of the easier schedules of all the teams competing for this final spot or for for the playoffs in the Western Conference. They have one of the easier schedules. And I, I think that the schedule is going to play such a big part of it. We're talking about the Western Conference playoff race, but an equally as exciting or, or important race is the race to the bottom of the <laughs> West. And we saw this last year with Portland. 
you know, they went on a huge run in the last six weeks of the season. Well, a lot of that was because they had seven, eight, nine games against teams that were actively trying to lose every single night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oklahoma City gets a ton of those games um, the rest of the way out, and I think that's going to be a huge, huge advantage to them. Who's your next pick? My next pick is the Spurs, and and I know it's crazy to have them this low, but I think they haven't looked great for a while now, but a good solid month they haven't looked like themselves, and part of that was LaMarcus Aldridge being out of the lineup, but I think the news about Kawhi Leonard possibly, it almost sounds like probably not returning at any point this season, has to be a psychological hit to them, and you know, I know that they didn't have him all year, and the Spurs are this machine where you just plug guys in and they execute. But I think knowing your best players not coming back, that can be tough. And on top of that, they have the single most difficult schedule of every team in the Western Conference uh, going forward, at least according to uh, BasketballReference.com, which has a, a you know a metric they use to weigh road games, back to backs, strength of opponents, and so forth. They have the toughest schedule going out. They're padding. Their, their advantage in the standings is not that much. Mm-hmm. Basically one game, two games from the rest of the teams fighting for the playoff spot. Uh, they, to me, my, my this is going to sound like a hot take. I don't think they make it into the playoffs. I mean, That's a hot take. I don't, it, it is, it is. And it's me. And, and look, every single year, somebody counts out the Spurs and somebody puts, starts digging the grave of, of the, the, the Spurs. Running. I'm going to, I'm going to distance myself from that take as much <laughs> as I can. This, this take is on Anthony Irwin, Matt Adamatas. Yep. I am not picking the Spurs to miss the playoffs. The Spurs are in town, by the way, to play Denver. I cover the Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. They're in town to, to play Denver and I fully expect a 20 point win by the Spurs tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it's weird stuff. Always. They seem to figure these things out, but like you said, the, the schedule is, is kind of daunting, and the gut check that you get from just learning that concretely Kawhi might not be coming back. Now, they do have a bit of a gap. They are at 24 losses, whereas uh, the other remaining teams that we're going to be talking about are at about 26. Uh, so so that helps. That certainly Two helps. games. Right, right. <laughs> That's a the bit of a gap. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a gap, but, but yeah, I don't. I kind of think they they fall off a little bit here, and and it's it's going to be interesting to see as you're talking about when they are playing the tougher playoff teams, and and teams like OKC and other teams are playing teams that are trying to lose. I could kind of see the the, the Spurs uh, tripping up a little bit. My next team that I am picking is Denver. Your Denver Nuggets. Uh, I now the one caveat here. Mike Malone or Michael Malone needs to figure out <laughs> that Jokic is a five. Like he just that is yeah. and, and and the offense needs to run through him. And and the one thing that I'm a little nervous about here is that as guys get back healthy, whether it's Plumley or Millsap, whatever, that the offense goes away from Jokic. And and that the you, the Nuggets now for two years have been at their absolute best when the offense runs through Jokic. And if it doesn't, if they if they start trying to get cute with going through Millsap or playing Plumley at all, uh, that that starts to make me a little nervous. 
So the Nuggets have put up in their last like 10 games. Mason Plumlee got injured. Millsap's been out for 40-something games now and will continue to miss. But Mason Plumlee back in the lineup. And after he went down, the Nuggets were sort of forced to play through Nikola Jokic and a bunch of wing players. And in that stretch, the Nuggets scored 134 against Milwaukee, 117 against San Antonio, 123 against Phoenix, 121 against Charlotte, 115 against the Warriors, 127 against Oklahoma City. All wins. Every single one of those games a win. Mm-hmm. Their offense was absolutely on fire, and it reminded everybody of their offense from last season. So it's an absolutely uh, – you're right to point out that it's a huge question mark about whether they can maintain that now that if they, they go back to twin center lineups. Um, and, and it's a legitimate question, and it's reason I don't have them as my next lock. I actually have Utah as my next lock, which is – They were my next team, yeah. Yeah, which is maybe a hot take because they are – in the 10th seed right now, and they are a full game and a half behind, two losses behind the Pelicans for that 8th seed. Um, but I actually just think Utah, the way the, Utah has been the sneaky good team for the last two years, really three years, but really the last two years, um, especially when Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors are, are both healthy at the same time. But the problem is, you'd be surprised at how seldom those two guys were healthy at the same time. Yeah. One would get healthy, the other one would go out. And it's been a crazy trend for two years. Well, both guys have been healthy now for about 15 games. Lo and behold, they're on an 11-game winning streak. And I think they're a team that maybe not a lock. Uh, you know, that's why they're they're so low on this list. But they're another team that has a really, really, really easy schedule. The easiest of every playoff team not named Golden State going for the rest of the season. Tons of home games. They're they're my lock ahead of Denver. But I had I had Denver right after them. So we just had those two swapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there another team? So right now we're at five teams, which makes up the eight spot we're at, there. We're at seven teams because Golden State and Houston and Ooh, then five right, others. Right, right. right. Yeah. So seven. So there's right. one final spot. Uh, I'll give. Well, I. All right. So Utah was my last team there and we have that swapped. I guess we could say that that would be the eighth team technically. But I would say that I think Portland sneaks in. I think yeah. I think Portland is the time. They, to me, are the most. They are who they are. Right. And they, and they right. basically all they have to do at this point, there 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 are fewer moving pieces. They just have to figure out what is their best version of basketball. They have the same team basically that they had last year. And look, the other thing, too, is if these guys want to continue to play together, if if CJ McCollum and, and Damian Lillard want to continue to play together, they have to get into the playoffs because otherwise the the ownership and that front office is going to have to think to themselves, wait, we're spending all this money and the team isn't even making it into the playoffs, uh, and they might and they might start rethinking a few things. There's uh, there's not that the the amount of money they're they're spending, whether they make the eight seed or not, is is it's it's almost a small. Uh, I think a small victory just to get in, but uh, yep. they still have issues. They do have two, one thing working for them, one thing working against them. Working against them is that they have the third toughest schedule in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, they go on the road a ton. They play a lot of above 500 teams, and they have not been good against above 500 teams this year. They have won a lot of the games they were supposed to, the gimmies against the bottom dwellers of the league, but they have gotten beaten down by a lot of the just play other playoff teams. Well, that's going to have to change for them down the stretch, but the thing they have working for them is I think they have arguably the most clutch player in all of the NBA, leading the leading the charge in Damian Lillard. I thought and you were going to say Nurkic. My bad. <laughs> and as we saw last year with their run, I just don't think you bet against Lillard. He's the Trailblazers have got have gotten the, as a team have gotten close enough now to if they just go on a nice little winning streak here to close things out, they can get in. 
and, and I trust him as much as anybody to kind of seal these close games. Yep, that's a that's a good point, especially if they're going to be playing these good teams. Like when you're playing a good team, you need that guy. Clippers or Pelicans? Who is more likely to to sneak in between those two? Pelicans because of Anthony Davis, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I could flip a coin, and and my and my decision flips with it because. Look, I, I, it's hard for me to trust the the Pelicans, and and not just the Pelicans because of the team that they the roster that the, that they put out there, but the entire organization isn't exactly a symbol of strength <laughs> throughout the NBA. <laughs> um, and and, and uh, I don't know the, the Clippers. Maybe they figure some stuff out, uh, but man, that would take that would take a miracle. I think for either of those two teams. I think both of them have a legitimate shot and actually a pretty good shot of, of making the playoffs, but I am I do think the other teams are a little bit ahead of them. But the Clippers are the team that I think I'm most impressed with uh, of those yeah. two, and, and they would they would get the nod for me. They don't have the star power of Anthony Davis, but I just think they have a lot of a lot of interesting pieces that can step up. And Lou Williams continues even tonight continues to just look <laughs> look really really good, which is kind of surprising to me he's, how he's how good he's looked. He might be my favorite story in the NBA this year. Like I'm, I'm not even. He's so much. He's so much fun. He, it's. I'm really happy for for Lou. All right, so we're going to move on and talk about young cores. Uh, both Adam and I have, I don't know, fairly similar stances on on at least how we evaluate talent in the NBA. So we're going to start with that, and then we're gonna then we're gonna rank our our young cores. So we'll start by saying this. I. You and I, one of the things that you and I kind of go back and forth on, because you have been on my show a couple of times, and, and the thing that you and I think wish that we evaluated players by more is instead of talent, impact, right? There are guys, there are guys who have incredible talent, but they don't impact their team in terms of wins the way that you would like in that respect. And there are guys who aren't as talented, and yet they just make the kind of things happen that you need to in order to win games am i am i am i right with that yeah. starting i i think you're right but i think it, the younger the the talent the more difficult it is to kind of get a read on that because you know these players are still figuring out the game and 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 the raw talent i think is the stuff that that jumps off the screen and and some of the just the uh the basketball iq and feel for the game type stuff comes a little bit later but um I, I want to put this caveat in before we begin. I don't know how you did it, and we probably should have coordinated this before, but <laughs> I, I did under t- 24 and under. So all players that were 25 or older just do not count towards this young core for me. And the reason I did it that way is, for one, you have to have a cutoff somewhere just from, from when we're talking talent. And there was a lot of 25-year-olds that I felt just were different players um, than than the rest that we're looking at here in terms of like we kind of already know who they are. Kyrie Irving is 25 years old. I don't consider him a young prospect anymore. He's kind of an in his prime type mm-hmm. player. Victor Oladipo I know this has been a breakout year for him but again he's a guy that it's it's difficult to compare him to say like a Devin Booker because Devin Booker has four years to catch up to whatever level Victor Oladipo's at. So I, I made the cutoff at 24 and I weighed you know, a 19-year-old great prospect more heavily than a 24-year-old. You know, I, I wait for age on that. Uh, I I followed those same some somewhat. I followed that to a certain extent because, like, Malcolm Brogdon is 25, but he's only been in the NBA for what a year. Yeah, but he's 25. Right. Well, yeah, but but he's not. I 
but that's where I would Bogdan say that Bogdanovich, who's one of my favorite players again, like, it, 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 of this season, one of my favorites to watch. He's also 25, 26. I can't remember. I don't have it off the top of my head. So guys like that, I just think it's different. And, and mm-hmm. we're talking, you know, we're going to compare these guys to Markel Fultz, who's 19 years old, and Jamal Murray, who's 20, uh, Jason Tatum, who's 19. To me, when we talk about young cores, one, it's how much, what's the likelihood of those players sticking together? You, you know, being uh, an actual core together, mm-hmm. and I think when you when you're looking at these really young young talents, I think that's that's just kind of the cutoff age I went with. All right, so I'll let you. Uh, how about we? Do you want? Let's to... go in order, All right, and so... we'll do our honorable mentions at the end. And I I think both of us will have the same one. I would be shocked. You would be. I think this are, there's an objectively right answer to this one, and it and then for me it's Philadelphia. Yeah, and, at the and, very top. Yeah. And I think there's three players in this 23 and under that you can say are transcendent players. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of them. I think he's can be the MVP of the league, and not just an MVP, but a guy that's so overwhelming that you know, no matter what, it's like LeBron. No matter what, you know, the other team's way more talented. Yeah, but you got LeBron. I think Giannis is a player that can be that way. I think the other two are Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Philadelphia has both of them. And for me, Embiid especially, I think I put him in a class all himself. Um, I do think that there's a lot of things. I think he's only getting about 50% of his potential. He's a guy that, you know, the footwork is great, the outside shot, um, you know, just some of the the different ways that he can score and kind of put (coughs) pressure. He draws fouls at this ridiculous rate. Um, But I still think that he's a guy that, his, the the impact he has on offense is almost exclusively from his one-on-one um, scoring ability and the pressure he puts on you one-on-one. What he doesn't do, in my opinion at this moment, nearly as well as he's going to in the next three, four, five years, is he doesn't know how to impact, uh, kind of force the, the defense's hands outside of one-on-one opportunities. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of opportunities for him when he catches the ball out on the perimeter to kind of hunt out the right pick and roll that's going to put the most pressure on the defense, not from a scoring perspective, but just from a let's force the defense to do what they don't want to do, switch out on, you know, switch a smaller guy onto him, overload one side of the floor because they have to just to, to provide help. I don't think he reads those situations so well right now. Right now he attacks one-on-one, attack, attack, attack. And sometimes he attacks so much so that I think it allows him to get a little bit out of control. So Embiid, as great as he is right now, I think we're only seeing 50% of what he's actually going to be. Yeah. Now, the, my one thing there, my one concern there is obviously the health, right? That's, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have and for to, him, it's worth noting. I think it's, this is true of all players, but for him especially, it's worth noting. Yeah. And now and now the other thing, too, is that he is 23, right? So he's he's a year away from, from that that borderline that you were talking about. And at that point, you, I think it's fair to wonder if he does take those steps forward, the way that you're talking about seeing as he has a, 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 you know, less time to figure that kind of stuff out. Now, the other thing too, that I, that I really want uh, from, from Simmons and from Embiid is as soon as they start figuring out is I'm basically remaking your point to a certain extent, but as soon as they start figuring out the way that they can bend defenses utilizing their gravity, that's when Philly just becomes unguardable. Like I was watching the game last night between the Warriors and the Clippers, and at no <laughs> at no point was that was that Warriors team guardable because every single guy on that team, whether it's Clay, Steph, Katie, who have you. 
they figure out they they understand all right if i stand over here this pulls the defense here if i stand over right. here it pulls the defense here and it makes the game so much easier not just for themselves but for everybody and i think i think that is definitely part of it they're going to be a different team than the warriors just because the warriors rely on that that style of play and i and i do think that's a great style probably the best style but there is you know there is just that 4 or 5 pick and roll or 3 5 pick and roll with Simmons and Bead that creates the same amount of, of of pressure on the defense that what the what the Warriors do, or at least in, it, it can down the road put that much pressure on the team. But I would like, to your point, I really would like to see Ben Simmons utilize his off ball game a lot more. I don't feel like I feel like he is constantly in a state of the ball in his hands, make a pass, then go get the ball and try to do something else. He's sixth in the league in time of possession of all players. He's first in touches. So more than Russell Westbrook, uh, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Chris Paul, James Harden, all those guys. He's ahead of all of those guys, and I just think that that's one of those. Uh, he he's one of those guys that's going to really open his, up his game once he figures out how to be impactful by getting the ball out of his hands, but doing some of the other stuff. But I will note. I mean, we, we haven't even talked about uh, Markel Fultz, Dario Saric, and their the, their super lineup. That in those four guys plus Robert Coving. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Those three guys, Robert Covington and J.J. Redick, is a super lineup that's played 406 minutes and outscored opponents by 175 points total. One of the best marks in in the NBA for for player for a group, the a five man group that's played that many minutes. So, mm-hmm. I think it should be noted that these this is a super young team, but they already have a sort of death lineup that they go to that that just murders everyone. Yeah, they they now in terms of likelihood that they all stick together, that's the other thing that these guys have going for them. Is that like you? You've already figured out not just one superstar, but two potential superstars. You have some peripheral yep. pieces around them, and it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of years what they do to really give the next step up. Uh, but they're yeah, they they are in an incredible spot. My next one uh, is Denver. Your your Denver Nuggets. Uh, Mine I, too. I I like obviously I I love watching Jokic play, uh, but. You have a bunch of guys. I want to see the Nuggets. This is going to sound really weird. I want to see the Nuggets without some of their veterans. I want. <laughs> I want. <laughs> I want to see this team without um, Mason Plumlee. I want to see this team. It, it's too bad to say this, but I kind of want to see him without Paul Millsap because I just I want to see Jokic with a ton of wings around him, with a ton of shooting, with the Gary Harris's, the. Uh, Jamal Murray's, the Malik Beasley's. I, I just want to see those guys go out there and and, and be unguardable. And and, and, and that's be, what we saw for the last twelve games. Yeah. I mean, they've been missing those guys. They've basically been missing their veterans. And uh, that those lineups that you talked about, Jokic, Gary Harris, and Jamal Murray, that trio. First of all, I think. Uh, Outside of Embiid Simmons, I think those three guys fit together as well as any other trio, even including Philadelphia. I don't know if there's a third wheel that fits as perfectly as as those three we'll kind of fit see together. With we'll see, but not at the not at the current rate it's going. That's for sure. Right, and the the two fit so well, so it makes up more than makes up for. But with the Nuggets, those three guys just fit with each other so so well, particularly on the offensive end where. In this era of elite offensive basketball, the Nuggets are up there with teams like Houston and Golden State when they play with those three guys. And you mentioned not wanting to see the veterans. I do think Paul 
Millsap. And Denver has, I think, the fifth or sixth best five-man unit in all of the NBA. Mm-hmm. And it's the unit that the starting unit from the start of the year that had Millsap. So I think even though he's only played 14 games, they played like 224, 25 minutes together. And uh, they were like a plus 12 net rating in those 14 games. But to your point, those three guys just do fit so well. And over this last 12 games, they haven't had their veterans, and they've won 9 of 12. They have a one-point loss to Boston, a two-point loss to the San Antonio Spurs, and then a blowout loss to Houston. Outside of that, they've beaten the Thunder. They've beaten the Warriors. uh, They've beaten the Spurs. uh, They've beaten Milwaukee in Milwaukee when Milwaukee was the hottest team in the basketball outside of Utah over the last 10 games. So they have some really, really impressive wins in this stretch, as you mentioned, without their veterans. And I just think there, there is even an argument to be made that that, that, that trio alone is, is the, uh, the, the three best players on the Nuggets roster or, or will be very, very, very soon. Who's your next young core? I went with the Celtics. And this was I, – I think th- for me there was the, the top two, the Celtics, which get a little bit hairy because if you add in Kyrie Irving, who's 25, I think, there's, I think the Celtics maybe are number two. Um, they go up the list. But because of my tight rules – you're looking at Jason Tatum, who's 19, Jalen Brown, who's 21. And I think those two are not only fantastic players, but I think they complement each other really, really well and fit the modern NBA. Outside of that, you got Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, Semi Ojale, who I like. Um, those guys are good. Marcus Smart's future with the Celtics, I think we, we don't know. Terry Rozier, I think, is a really, really good piece, but... Those guys, I don't think, are what make them good. What make them good is that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, as young as they are, are already average or better. I think actually better NBA players, yeah, uh, significantly better players, yeah. playoff caliber players, um, and have been coached. I think to kind of be in in um, to kind of be headed towards becoming their best selves, and I think that makes a big difference. The thing that's hard for me to separate in this discussion is the impact of having a Kyrie or having a Horford or when he comes back, a Gordon Hayward. That helps. Like you no can doubt. see, you can see it with LeBron playing with Larry Nance Jr. and Jordan Clarkson. The impact was immediate. We yeah. we we just found wow, Jordan Clarkson can do stuff. Larry yeah. Nance Jr. can do stuff. Uh, and and it's hard for me to to define the Celtics. I have them I have them sixth because I just I, it's hard for me to 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 figure out where their young core starts and where their team is. Right. I looked at it this way. If I look, if I were to guess five years from now, would those two Tatum and Brown be, you know, a, a, a really, really good one two punch? And, and I would say yes. And, and, and that's really what it came down to. The rest of the teams on my list. I don't I can't say that for for the rest of them, that their one two punch is going to be as good as those two. So that's really what it came down to for me. Uh, my next team is Milwaukee. Uh, I had I this is a last second change. I had Minnesota, but then I kind of looked at the roster again, and it's like Towns and yeah, <laughs> Wiggins and his and his contract starts next year. The the big contract starts next year with Wiggins, and I don't know what the return on that contract is going to be. Uh, but I I have uh, Milwaukee next, and it's because of Giannis. He's twenty three years old, and he has the potential to be the best player in the league. This is where this argument really just becomes semantics because I think that's a very fair one to have based on the strength of Giannis. He's the only Giannis in the world. He's yeah. the only 
he's the only guy that good, and he is capable of lifting everyone else. I'm not in love with the rest of the young pieces of the roster. Jabari, who, by the way, might not be with the team next year. I mean, he's already said that he wants a max contract, and <laughs> you know, he's, he sees himself as that type of player. So Thon Maker, very, extremely young. Um, you know, could become something outside of that. You know, I don't, there's not a lot of pieces that I, that I'm in love with there, but as you mentioned, sometimes it only takes one. And, yeah. <laughs> and in this case, Giannis is the guy. So I had it sixth, but again, I don't, I, I think we kind of agree about the core. It's just that you're weighing Giannis so heavily. And yeah. I think that's fair. It's, it's like we talked about with, uh, Philadelphia and Chicago, right? There are two kind of ways that you build a team and it's, and it's forced upon yeah. you based on the guy that you draft. The The bucks just happened to draft Giannis and he helps out everything else around him. The Lakers haven't drafted that superstar and so they've really relied on late first round guys outplaying their draft position. Uh, yeah. Do you have my next uh, one? Next yeah, one? my so my fourth was actually the Timberwolves, and and it's kind of funny because I just said this about Milwaukee. I think Giannis is significantly better than Towns um, as a pro, just his upside, everything about him. But Towns is really, really good, and he's in that conversation for best. He can be the best player on a championship team and all that. I actually really like Tyus Jones, and I know that's yeah. a crazy take to have. I I think he's he's Wolf's Twitter is applauding you vehemently right now. <laughs> well, it's funny, but I like Tyus in, in the draft, and I like him even more the, just the way he plays. I think sometimes, you know, you you don't need five superstars. You need five guys that are superstars in their role. And I think Tyus Jones is a superstar in his role. And fortunately, his role is a pretty cheap one, so he's not the type of guy that's going to get a max contract or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I like him a lot. I'm low on Wiggins. Um, more so than I think most people, but I will say that he is a guy that continues even at his age has still has all of these tools to be a great player. And I think one of the things I've always thought about Wiggins is he would be so much better if used less as a lower usage, more like high cutting guy, high off ball guy. Now he has not played that way in his entire career. Um, I think him and him and Carl Anthony Towns would actually play really, really well pick and roll dribble handoffs uh, with each other. I think that's, that would actually be the most ideal way to use those two guys, but that's not how the wolves are using him. Um, and, and I rate Wiggins kind of low on that. That's why they have fallen all the way down to fourth for me. Uh, after Minnesota and Milwaukee, I have the Lakers. Uh, and, I do as well. And, and it's, so it's kind of funny. You and I talked about this briefly last night when we were thinking about what we were going to do for the show. And it, the Lakers have done, exponentially better in terms of value at drafting people later in the draft than they have at the top of it, right? They're, Randall is okay at, at seven. He's okay, right? They, yeah. they traded away D'Angelo Russell, and now, Lonzo, <laughs> and now Lonzo has missed a month after tweaking a knee, right? So, yeah. so and, and then you look at the other guys on there that they've drafted. Kuzma is, in my opinion, legit. Uh, they were able to turn Nance and Jordan Clarkson into a first rounder and and yet still have pieces. We haven't even seen Thomas Bryant yet, who I am really high on whenever he does make an appearance. And Zubots has finally started to to show up this year. I'll let you talk about him. You, you, you missed me with the Zubot stuff, but I, I'll, I'll oh, no, say I'm this. Not, I'm not, you can, anybody who listens to my show can know that it's, it's mostly Harrison trying to convince me that Zubots is, is anything other than somebody they should try to trade this year. I don't know that the Lakers pieces fit as well as some of these others, and and I'm a little bit lower, I think, on on the back half talent. I'm a huge Lonzo Ball believer. I think he's a, a, an incredible 
point guard, and I think he's going to be a really, really good player someday. Brandon Ingram, I think, is good. I'm I'm lower on his on him reaching his upside. I think his ceiling is really high, but I'm lower on on the odds that he that he reaches it. But I think both of those guys are really, really good players. Kuzma, and this is where I think Laker fans are going to really blow a gasket. I'm lower on Kuzma than I think most are. I don't think. I, I don't think he's quite this offensive force. I mean, he's a really, really good scorer, and that's important, and there's a role for that. Um, but I'm, I'm not convinced that he's a guy that that you build around. I think he's more no. of a guy that's a supplemental player, yeah. and and in that vein, you know, he's really he can be really good at that role. But I don't think he'll, he's ever going to be a cornerstone piece or even a main piece. I don't think he's going to be one of your top three or four guys. Julius Randle, another guy that you know, is he part of the long term plans, especially with some of the rumors with the Lakers? I don't know. Um, good player, and I think he has a really good skill set. But does he fit with Lonzo and Ingram? I don't. I don't actually see it with that. So w- with him, so um, they have a nice collection of talent. I'm just not sold on all of it, and I'm certainly not sold on the fit. The one thing I'll say about Randall, and I was watching again, watching the the Clippers play the Warriors last night. Every time DeAndre Jordan switched out onto Steph, it was just barbecue chicken. The poor dude yeah. had he, there was nothing he could do with him, and. A mul- multiple times this year, Randall switched out. And now Matt Moore will say that Steph enjoyed the the LA nightlife the night before. But uh, Randall is able to step out and guard those kinds of point guards in in that limited setting. Uh, and to me, that's that's hugely important. Now it depends on what the Lakers bring him back for. Uh, but but I think there's something to build off of there with those four guys: Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma, and Randall. I did want to give some shout outs here. I think Phoenix has a sneaky good uh, collection of talent that, again, doesn't necessarily fit perfectly together. But Devin Booker, obviously, big time star potential. I think Josh Jackson is really, really good. I like Josh Jackson's game a lot. I think he's going to be really, really good. And those two, as kind of a, as your top two players, are, I think maybe underrated as as a young building blocks. I'm higher on Dragon Bender than I think most are. He's only 20, which I, I felt was kind of shocking. Like he's younger. He's the age of most is half the rookies in this rookie class. Yep. I think he has some upside. I'm really low on Chris. Um, Alfred Payton's only 24 TJ, uh, Warren only 24. So they've got a lot for parts. Part of it is just volume, sheer volume. They got a lot of guys that are, that are in that, that age group. But I think a couple of those guys, I would not be surprised. I think they have two guys that are pretty certain to be good players. And then I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of those other guys panned out to be um, pretty good. I think TJ Warren and Alfred Payton, we kind of know what they are already. Um, but, but you never know if one of those guys has another leap in them. The last one I that I really wanted to talk about was Chicago's, yeah. Uh, and the point that I the point that I couldn't necessarily get out of my mind was that a lot of their guys seem like good player, bad team type players. Uh, yeah. Portis, Portis went off, obviously, as we were talking about earlier. But I don't know. I just it's hard for me to trust a dude who who caused the guy to miss a bunch of time because he punched him so hard. Uh, <laughs> Levine to me, I think is legit. I think he he belongs in the discussion of some of the more talented young guys. But again, it gets back to like we were talking about earlier impact versus talent. And I want to know if he, if he is able to harness that talent and make an impact. We, we aren't necessarily sure, sure of that yet. And, and Chris Dunn has been okay this year. Uh, He's been great compared to what he was last year, but um, it's, it's hard for me to include Chicago in the discussion with all these guys, considering the talent that you and I have talked about. 
They're they fall in a category with me. I, I really like Lowry Markinen a lot more than I thought. I missed I missed on him at the draft. I didn't think he was any good. I think he's really good actually in the NBA. Chris Dunn Chris Dunn is a guy that I like. What, you had a, a Lowry comment. I, maybe I've watched the wrong games, but I just he just <laughs> he he seems to to me too okay with with not making an impact in a game. Yeah. That's my Chris Dunn, I think it, I, I, I think he can be a really good defender. Levine, I'm, uh, I'm whatever on. The, the Bulls fall in the same category as the Magic and the Kings for me in this regard. They've got some. They, I don't think they have a lot of like jumps off the page. Oh, this is a star build around. This is the guy you build around. I don't know if they have that guy yet. But all of those teams are just one number one draft pick away from jumping up in this ranking because they're really young guys and. Uh, you look at the standings right now. The Bulls could really use a Luka Doncic or a uh, DeAndre Ayton or a, a Bagley, and the same goes for the Magic. The Magic have Jonathan Isaac, who I absolutely love, Aaron Gordon, who's only 22 and still has a, a ton of upside, and same thing. They they could win the lottery this year and end up with what I would consider a good big three of under 22 talent. The Kings, I'm not as in love with the Kings as um, young pieces, but again, kind of like uh, Phoenix. There's just so many of them that are 24 or under. I think there's like nine players on their roster, 24 and under. Um, and they're another one that, as much as I don't love all of the talent, they win more one more lottery and and or win one lottery coming up. And I think a lot of things change. Yeah, I, but that kind of gets back to the point that you made earlier: the likelihood that their core actually sticks together. Like Aaron Gordon, yeah, we aren't sure, right? They, they by by some accounts they were trying to move him at this year's trade deadline. So right. It's, it's hard to tell there with those guys. All right. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Again, this is going to be the Friday episodes of the Locked On NBA podcast. If you want to catch more of us, you can find Adam at with his writing at denverstiffs.com and Locked On Nuggets. You can find my writing at Lakers Outsiders and my podcasting at Locked On Lakers. Adam is at Adam Morris. I am at Anthony Irwin LA. Uh, and have a great rest of your weekend. <laughs>